What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wildlife Control Podcast. My name is Kyle Waltz. It's been a while since I've been able to jump on here. Um, getting busy, really hard to get everything done, do a podcast, uh, run a business, multiple businesses. Um, and also I have a full-time job. So getting a lot done, but nonetheless, hopefully we'll give you guys a lot of value in the month of August. Um, you know, sometimes August in a lot of territories, I've seen slower months. Um, but August can be a slow time of the year. Kids are going back to school. If they are going to go back to school, I really don't know. Not really paying too much attention to all that, but we have seen slow August months and hopefully this podcast will help you get through a slower month and also make the most of your busier months. And today we're going to talk about sales. So, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at a wildlife control business model. Um, some of the synergies there, if you partner up with a pest control company are great, or if you start doing pest control, that's also great. Um, but, you know, I think the main thing that I see and I've had experience of uh, coaching a lot of salespeople, really for me as an owner, that's probably the favorite part of my job. And that's one of the things that I spend some of the most time on is sales coaching. I spent many years out in the field doing sales and it's been a while since I've actually been in the field, you know, actually at like a residential house doing sales. I will jump in and help out on big commercial opportunities that are, you know, upwards of 30,000 or more. Um, but for those smaller jobs, I just don't get in, involved that much. I have a team that takes care of those things and they do a great job at it. But I've learned a lot over the years of how to approach sales and how to stand out amongst your competitors, how to make sure that you are the one that closes the deal. And a lot of it just has to do with asking the right questions and being very, very detailed, punctual, and professional when you're going out to do inspections. And the primary thing that I want to talk about today is going to be structural situations. So animals in the attic, animals in the crawl space, animals in the basement, animals in the living space. That is, that is going to be my focus today. And I just wanted to share with you guys the way that I think about it. Now, I know there's a lot of different ways to look at structural sales opportunities and just wanted to share with you how I look at it and how my business looks at it today and how we are hopefully utilizing every opportunity possible and we're not leaving any money on the table, while also, most importantly, giving the customer as much value as possible for every dollar that they spend. And these things, in, in my opinion, are extremely important. If you want to grow your business, if you want to increase your, your top line and your bottom line, have more money to take home and be able to reinvest in your business over and over and over again so you can see it grow and build up a big bank account where you can go out and buy nice equipment, buy nice vehicles, um, and be able to get access to lines of credit, loans, all that stuff. All that has a lot to do with your cash flow and sales obviously is going to help you with your cash flow. I think at the end of the day, you don't have to be an excellent salesperson to sell wildlife control. I know people that sit behind a desk and they make cold calls all day and they can't imagine having a sales job where they're getting inbound leads. And we are very fortunate. So if you've not done anything other than wildlife control sales, or sales that were all inbound leads for the most part, you probably don't realize how good you have it because, I mean, I know people that are selling life insurance, sitting behind a desk, hammering out phone calls, and they might close one out of 10 calls or one out of 50 calls. Um, and there's a lot of different jobs like that. If you're sitting behind a desk making cold calls and reaching out to strangers, 
to try and close them on a, on a deal that they may not even want. Um, that's a lot more challenging than somebody calling you saying they have squirrels in the attic and they want you to take care of that problem. So that is what I want to talk to you today with. So, you know, I think in this situation, and we'll just focus really on, on animals in the attic and you can, you can switch things up if it, if it's a different situation, like crawl space or basement it's really all the same thing but really that sales process is going to start the second that lead comes into your business and i know some people that take that lead and they go ahead and and sell something over the phone for a structural problem we do not what we do is we have somebody that answers the phone which is an answering service by the way or a call center And these people are not wildlife experts that are answering the phone. You know, I think it takes a lot of education and experience to be extremely knowledgeable about wildlife control. And obviously you can increase your training and get there. But when you're scaling really quick, it's much easier just to have a simple um, system to get that lead out to a sales representative that's going to be able to handle it from there. So when our call center answers the call, they say our business's name. Thank you for calling Conserve Wildlife Services. And the customer then tells them, hey, I have squirrels in my attic. They say, okay, what I need from you is your zip code, your name, the best phone number to reach you, and I'll have a wildlife specialist give you a call back in about 30 minutes. They then text that lead out to a sales representative. So if he's driving and he's got his phone set up on his dashboard as as his GPS, he sees right away. He's getting an alert. He has a lead. He knows he can now pull over and contact that customer fast. Now, if he's in the attic or I'm in the attic, I'm going to have my AirPods in or headphones in so that when my phone goes off, I can hands-free call somebody no matter where I am. If I'm on the roof doing exclusion, same thing. Maybe I got a podcast going in the background. Maybe I got music going or maybe it's just nothing. I have headphones in though. I know immediately when a, when a phone call comes in and I can continue working or doing my inspection or whatever it is I'm doing and take a phone call right then and there. That's going to allow me to be more efficient, more productive, and I don't have to climb down off the ladder to go get a pen and a paper. I'm hands-free, and I utilize the notepad in my smartphone. I have an iPhone that has a notepad in there. I can take notes in there, and I can get customers' information. I can even schedule appointments in there as well, so I can do it all from my phone. So that lead comes in, I want to make sure that lead is called as fast as possible. If there is no real reason why I can't call it immediately, then I'm going to call it immediately. I call the customer, I'm going to greet my greet the customer. Um, hey, good morning, this is Kyle with Conserve Wildlife Services. I understand you're having some problems with squirrels in the attic. The customer is going to then vent, and then at that point, I'm going to go ahead and and let them know what we're going to do. Key word or key sentence, this is what we will be doing for you. I don't tell the customer we're going to come out and give them a quote. And the reason I don't want to talk to them about giving them a quote is because if they were not planning on going out and getting quotes from multiple businesses, and I tell them I'm going to come out and give them a quote, it might tell the customer to go get quotes when they weren't originally planning on getting quotes. So that language definitely can make a difference in your ability to close the deal. I mean, think about that. They're not planning on getting a quote. You use that language. Oh, wait a second. Maybe I should get quotes. So I'm not saying that. What I'm going to go ahead and do is I assume the sale right off the bat, no matter what. And by the way, if they do call me and tell me they want to get quotes, I'm still going to assume the sale. No matter what, even if they're like, oh, well, no, 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 no. We don't want you to come out and do the work just yet. We just want to quote. Sure. No problem. So I then go ahead and and ask the customer, when's a good time for me to come out? I want to put the ball in their court. If they tell me, you know, I'm I'm doing this podcast at 8 a.m. If they tell me that they're available tomorrow 
the, the, the next day, I go ahead and get their address, get their information. We schedule that appointment. But if I have the ability to go out there today, same day, I will always let the customer know no matter what, I am in your neighborhood today, even if I'm not, I'm in your neighborhood today, are you going to be around by chance? Because sometimes customers will schedule things based on their schedule, but their schedule isn't really that important. It might be that they just don't feel like having anybody come over. Or maybe um, they were in their pajamas and they just want to lay around and watch Netflix. But I'm still going to ask. If I don't ask, I'm not going to be able to show up there that same day. So anytime an appointment is scheduled in the future, I'm always going to try to get out there same day, even if that's what they requested. I don't know how many times, but a lot of times I've had customers say, you know what? Yeah, today's fine. If you're already going to be in the neighborhood, today's fine. And they feel like they're not inconvenience, inconveniencing me. People are so nice. Uh, it seems like most of our customers are just so nice. They don't want to inconvenience us. They don't want us to go out of our way. But I would go out of my way for any customer if that means I have an opportunity of making a new sale and solve another customer's problem. So we go ahead and get the appointment. When I schedule that appointment, I'm doing at least a one-hour window. If I'm super slammed or if I have to drive long distance to get to that appointment, I might bump it up to a two-hour window, and my goal is always to get there at the top of the appointment. So if I say in between 9 and 11, my goal is to get there actually at 9 and be out of there by 10. So that's my goal. But if something happens, I hit traffic, my last customer took longer than expected, you know, there's all kinds of unpredictable situations. I have that wiggle room. Now, once I'm on my way to the appointment, usually what I'll do is I'll shoot a text while I'm not driving. I shoot a text. Hey, uh, Mr. Smith, my ETA is 9 a.m. So he knows when I'm coming and I'm, I'm, I'm already proving to him that I'm a good communicator and I'm, I'm already building up trust, Right. I'm, I'm already letting him know, hey, that promise I made you earlier today that I'd be out in between 9 and 11, I'm going to be there. So building trust, building confidence, and that will help the customer make the decision. And I look at it this way. If that customer, and I'm going to go through this many times throughout the sales process in my head, if that customer did call multiple wildlife control companies and I'm the only one that let him know I was on my way, and I'm the only one that showed up on time, who do you think he's going to like the most if, if he's a stickler for time? And I'm a stickler for time, for sure. I don't want to be late. If you're 15 minutes early, you're still late. So I want to make sure that I go ahead and, and build that trust and don't take risk. It's all about eliminating risk here. The risk is I don't make the sale. I don't want anything to prevent me from making the sale. All right, so I get there right on time. Uh, if, if I'm not going to show up on time, obviously, I'm going to call him and let him know, even if I'm going to be a minute behind. If I told him I'm going to be there at 9, and I think I might be there at 9.01, I'm going to let him know. And I'm actually going to call him, and he'll probably laugh at me because it's so silly, but that's good. I want him to think that I go above and beyond. Hey, Mr. Smith. Just to let you know, looks like I might be there a little past 9 o'clock. Thanks for letting me know, Kyle. All right, I show up, knock on the door, ring the doorbell. He opens up the door. I'm dressed professionally in a uniform, logoed shirt, logoed hat. Um, you know, we wear khaki pants, brown boots, brown belt, in a, in a uniform shirt. A decaled truck, you know, with our logo all over it. Um not a crappy truck. We drive Toyota Tacomas. Um, we also drive some GMC vehicles and we want to look professional. You know, your, your first impression is super important here. So he's right off the bat. He's seen nothing but professionalism up to this point. And I'm going to ask him what's been going on. Where is he hearing the noises? How did he find the problem? I'm going to ask as many questions as possible. 
And the reason why I want to ask a lot of questions is if my competitor is not asking a lot of questions about his problem, and I'm asking a lot of questions, who looks more professional? If you go to a doctor and you tell him that you're having a, a pain in your side, and he just says, oh, where does it hurt? Okay, I'll write you up a prescription for some painkillers. That's probably not a good sign. But if he asks you tons of questions, have you changed your diet? Have you changed your workout routine? You know, whatever. That person obviously really cares and is trying to identify the source of the problem and is trying to understand the story behind the problem. Well, look, squirrels in the attic is not a pain in your side, but it might be a pain in your head. And I need to know everything. I want to know if you ever had a competitor come out and try to resolve the problem for you. I want to know if you tried to resolve it yourself. I want to know if you've ever experienced a situation like this at all and have paid for it because that tells me that you're going to be maybe a little bit prepared for my pricing or maybe not. It could help me. It could hurt me because the competitor that came out might have just charged a stupid amount of money or maybe he really undercharged. So it doesn't really matter, but it does help me identify what's really going on here at this house. Once he vents to me and he points out everything that's going on, I'm then going to always invite the customer to come outside and do the inspection with me. I'm walking around the house. I might grab my ladder, check up on areas on the roof if I can't see the roof really well. And I'm going to do a very thorough, detailed inspection. I pull out my smartphone as I find entry points in my notepad in my phone. I'm marking where these areas are and what type of entry point it is. For instance, I'm saying, hey, there's four plumbing vents on the roof that are open. There are 50 soffit vents. There are four roof returns, so on and so forth. And as I'm finding these entry points, I'm pointing them out to the customer and showing him where they are. And then I'm explaining to him how I seal them off. And I know everybody does things differently, um, but for instance, when I explain hardware cloth, I don't ever call it hardware cloth. I call it quarter-inch galvanized animal-proof screen. It's a mouthful. I don't want to call it hardware cloth. That just sounds too simple. So that's what I call it. You might think that's ridiculous, but that's what I do. And some of our guys don't do that, but some of them do. And the ones that do... I'll say this. I know a guy that says that and he sells over a million dollars a year. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I also know guys that don't say that that sell almost a million dollars a year. So I'm going to explain in fine detail of how we are going to do things. Key word there or key phrase, how we are going to do things. And that's exactly the language that I use when I'm talking to that customer. Again, second time now, I'm assuming the sale. You start telling somebody you're going to do something over and over again, and they just want you to do it after it's all said and done. So for that reason, I'm telling him that. I'm, I want to assume the sale. I want to believe that I'm going to do the work, and I want the customer to believe that I'm do, going to do the work. It's going to increase my odds when it comes down to me sitting at his kitchen table and getting this deal to close. So I finish my inspection on the outside. If I need to go on the roof, I go on the roof. On the inside, I'm going to always go in the attic, and I'm going to take my time in the attic. Nobody in their right mind loves going in attics. It sucks, especially in August. It's hot as hell. Um, I'm drenched in sweat within 10 seconds, and <laughs> it's dirty. I, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm doing when I'm up there is I'm looking for any signs of any type of wild animals if I do not do termites, I'm still looking for termite damage because I want him to, to be aware. I'm looking for any type of problems up there, whether they're related to what I'm going to do for him or not. And I'm going to take pictures of these problems because, well, first of all, I care. I don't want my customers to have problems they don't know about. I'm not a jerk. Um, but I want, I want him to ship. I want him to see that you know, look, I got your best interests in mind. Your AC duct has a hole in it. That's not something that we do. 
um, or your AC is, is leaking or whatever. There's a pipe that's cracked. There's a wire that's chewed, so on and so forth. I'm going to go through all those things and hopefully uh, identify the main source of the problem and get some pictures of some rodent droppings or bat droppings or whatever I'm there for. And I'm going to be very detailed. If, if there's areas that need to be cleaned up, I'm going to note the location of those areas. And I'm going to note the square footage of those areas. Very important for my pricing. And I want the customer to know that I am following the price sheet. That way he does not think I'm just making things up. And we do. We use price sheets. We're not, we're not making stuff up. So I do that attic inspection. I take pictures, make notes climb down. When I climb down out of the attic, what happens usually, especially if you're in a closet? Insulation falls to the floor. This is very important. You should always ask the customer, where is your vacuum? Where is your broom so I can clean this up? Nine times out of 10, the customer will not let you clean it up. If they let you clean it up, clean it up, of course, but you need to let them know, hey, you care. And also when you're going up in the attic, if you think that there's a chance of insulation falling down or you ask the customer, hey, does insulation fall down? Again, you're you're building confidence and you're building trust with that customer because, again, you're telling the customer, hey, I care about your clothes down here. I care about your Louis Vuitton high heels that are sitting underneath the attic door. I got to bring my dirty, nasty ladder in here, which, by the way, you, hopefully you cleaned it off before you brought it in. It's not uh, covered in mud. And uh, let's get some stuff out of the way here. And maybe you have some clean visqueen in your truck. You could lay that down. You know, just clean up after yourself and be preventative so that you're not leaving a mess. Again, you're you're already providing a service for the customer, even if you have not charged them a fee. And we don't charge a fee for inspections. And that's a whole different podcast. But the main reason is because so many pest control companies do wildlife control and they don't charge. So I don't want to miss out on an opportunity over $100 or 50 bucks or whatever you want to charge. So I come down, I clean up my mess. I always tell the customer, hey, I'm going to go back to my truck and I'm going to write up a plan of action to take care of this for you. Again, this is the, I think the third time now I've assumed the sale. I didn't tell them I'm going back to my truck to write up a proposal because what's a proposal? It's an option. I didn't tell the customer I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my truck to write up a quote. I'm telling them I'm going back to my truck to write up a plan to eliminate the squirrels in your attic. It's a plan. This is a plan. This is a plan that we're going to execute. I go back to my truck, crank the AC up. It takes me 5 to 15 minutes. And I go pull up my price sheet and I go through everything all my notes in my iPhone, and I add everything up. I then go inside the house, or knock on the door again. I come inside the house. I'm always going to ask the customer, where is a good place for us to sit down? Because I always want to be seated when I'm, when I'm doing a presentation. And I want to be seated across the customer. So you might want to say, hey, where's, is there a table that we can sit down at? I wait for the customer to, to maybe point out to where I need to sit um, or I kind of watch to see where they might sit and I want to sit across from them. I don't want them to sit next to me because if they sit next to me, there's a chance that they're going to see the price on that thing. I do not want them to see the price until after I give them my presentation. It's extremely important. But before I get into the presentation, I do want to share with you of what my proposal might look like. So while I am doing that inspection, it's very important that you kind of understand the amount of opportunity that you have there at that property. Just because you're out there for, let's say you're out there for bats, that doesn't mean you should ignore entry points that are not related to bats. You know, if I'm out there and there's an obvious bat colony going up into the attic, but I notice there are uh, some crawl space vents at the ground going in or even any, any entry points at ground level, 
that have nothing to do with bats, I'm going to put those in my proposal. I'm not going to tell the customer the bats are going to go in there. But if they're concerned about bats, wouldn't they be concerned about rats or armadillos or skunks or possums or snakes or anything like that? Of course they would be. So I'm letting them know of everything. On the exterior, if they have a crawl space and they do have animals in the crawl space, let's say they have rats in the crawl space, very common, so underneath the house, I'm going to crawl underneath the house, just like I would in the attic, and I'm going to find those areas where rats could potentially go from the crawl space up a pipe and then into the living space of the house. It's not uncommon for us to have a customer that does have rats in the house. When I say in the house, I'm not talking about the attic or the crawl space. I am talking about the living space of the house a living room, a bedroom, a kitchen, in those areas. And it's important. I've, I've got to make sure that I get those areas taken care of inside that crawl space, those pipes going up and whatnot. And then I'm also going to be able to find out how's their insulation down there. You know, when I was up in the attic, how's the insulation up there? If there is any cracks or crevices that will allow any type of critters to get into this house, you better believe it's going to be on my proposal. So I'm going to have entry points on there, whether they're being used or not being used. Everything. I want to prevent critters from getting in if they don't have critters. You know, maybe I go out to the house and they don't have a problem at all. There's no droppings in the attic. The, the noises was caused by a branch scratching the roof. You can see the rub marks from the branch scratching the roof. That's what they were hearing. They don't have anything up there. I will still give them a proposal to keep animals out of the house to do exclusion. Why wouldn't I? They're obviously concerned about it. They obviously have the entry points. Let's eliminate the entry points and make sure they never have a problem. They never have to call me for a cleanup. They never have to call me to get the animals out of the attic with trapping or installing a one-way door. So you, sh you should go all in. So I'm going to have exclusion on there. If they had critters in their attic or crawl space, we're going to do what we call an enzyme treatment, which is disinfecting and deodorizing with a spray. There's a lot of different products out there, DS4 and all other products that all pretty much do the same thing. Um, that's going to kill bacteria, odors. It's also going to kill pheromones. You know, wildlife are attracted to other wildlife. You have a snowball effect. A lot of times you might start off with a rat problem, then you end up with a a possum problem because the possums are coming in to get the rats or snakes with mice or whatever. Um, so I want to make sure I eliminate all those odors. If there's anything for me to clean up, I'm going to always recommend a cleanup. There might be 20 droppings in the attic. I'm going to recommend that all the 20 droppings are cleaned up. The reason why, you know, I'm, I'm doing a treatment. You might wonder if you're going to treat the attic, well, why do you need to clean it? Well, it's just a good thing to do. It's a healthy thing to do. But also monitoring. In the event that customer calls me a year or two years later and they say they're hearing noises again, but there are no droppings in the attic because I removed them. If I don't see any droppings during that follow-up inspection, I know they might not really be having problems again in the attic. It might have just been something on the roof. You know, going back to the limb, there might have been a limb scratching the roof. So if I don't do that cleanup, I leave money on the table and it hurts me in the future when I go back to do a follow-up inspection because I'm not going to remember where every rat dropping was. So I'm going to do, do a, a cleanup service. I'm also going to recommend doing insulation if they need insulation. If they are short on insulation and it's not damaged, I'm going to recommend that we blow in a few extra inches on top of that existing insulation to get that insulation up to the correct R value. And you should use, uh, we talked about insulation on the last podcast we did on here. If you go to tap insulation, they have all kinds of charts on there that you can utilize to improve your insulation proposal. So I'm going to add that on there. We offer additional warranties. I'm not going to get into all those details, but we have additional warranties that increase the customer's coverage for wildlife intrusion. 
um, and we add that in. So I have exclusion, I have the enzyme treatment, I have cleanup, I have insulation. Obviously I gotta get rid of the animals, so there's gonna be a fee to get rid of the animals in the attic or the crawl space. That's gonna include trapping and or installing a one-way door to allow them to go out and they can't get back in. There's gonna be a fee involved for that. A lot of guys will just charge for sealing off the entry points and installing a one-way door, but they don't charge extra for it. You're leaving money on the table. You should charge to remove the animals if you're gonna remove animals. And that should be in addition to sealing off the entry points. How about recurring revenue built into that? So there's deterrent that you can apply. The value in the deterrent is not just the deterrent, but it's in the actual inspections of going out on a regular basis. And I might give the customer an option to do a full year or up to five years, and they can pay for all that up front and get cash flow in the business today. If I can put out rodent stations and they don't have rodent stations, I'm going to offer that as well. If I sell pest control, if my business in that area does pest control, I'm always going to add in pest control as well. What am I doing? I am building up the value of my proposal. I'm increasing the price of my proposal. I'm going big. I'm not leaving any stone unturned. And I'm giving the customer so many options to protect their house. Everything. I'm going all in. Why would you not go all in? I, I, I don't even know why you wouldn't. But you should go all in, and that's how you increase your sales. If you find yourself leaving a house knowing there are things that you did not propose because you were afraid, shame on you. You should definitely go and offer all of your services that you could offer. And here's, here's one way to, to look at it if you're concerned about scaring customers away because your price is too high. So for one, if I don't recommend that they need to do something that should be done, let's, let's, let's talk about plumbing vents for a second. Because I do have some people that ask me why we need to do plumbing vents. Customers ask a lot. And I have some customers tell me, oh, no, 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 we don't need, we don't need to do those. Why would we need to do those? Those don't go into the attic. Well, that's true. Now, the boot area of the plumbing vent could lead into the attic and will. But besides that, the other way to look at it is if, if you have rats and I screen off every entry point on your entire home and I install one-way doors so that those rats can go out, they can't get back in. Or even if I don't install one-way doors, there's a chance that those, some of those rats might, may not be in the attic when I screen it off or in the crawl space. They can't find a way back in. They're going to look around on that house, they're not going to give up in 24 hours. They're going to continue to try to get back in, especially if they can smell that that house. It's ventilating, right, as it heats and cools. They can tell that they were using that house. They're going to find a hole. What hole are they going to find? They're going to find the plumbing vents. They go down that plumbing vent, there's a chance they could come up in your toilet. So that's that's my sales pitch for that. And I'm sure you've had a call for rats in a toilet. I've had many calls for rats in a toilet. It's not really an exciting thing to wake up to at three in the morning when you got to use the restroom. So that's usually an easy sale there. So that's why I would always recommend plumbing fence. Now, is there a less chance of that happening than uh, animals getting through an open roof return? Yes, of course. But why take the risk? And I don't want the customer to come back in six weeks from now after I close this deal and I don't recommend the plumbing vents and have a rat in their toilet and then tell me, why didn't you ask me to get, or why didn't you tell me we need to screen off these plumbing vents? I don't want that to happen. I don't want somebody to look back and say, why didn't you tell me the insulation is damaged and needs to be replaced? Why didn't you tell me the attic needs to be cleaned up? Why didn't you tell me uh, that you can install rodent stations on the outside? I want to go all in every time. And the good news is when you go all in on every single opportunity, whether it's a residential house or a commercial job, 
when your customer's jaw drops, when they see you're giving them a $6,000 proposal to get rid of what they think is one rat or one squirrel, you can always go down. It's hard to go up. It's hard to offer more later if you didn't do it from the beginning. So I want to go ahead and put it all on the table right now. And then I'm going to use process of elimination. If you're not doing sales training on a regular basis and, and your business is not getting the sales that you'd like to see, you should, you should definitely utilize sales training. There's a lot of different tools out there. Pick a coach, somebody that's an expert at sales training, and get their material and lock in and follow up with it on a regular basis, daily, weekly, and improve your skills. Because this is where sales starts. Sales starts when the customer says no, and their jaw drops, and they're like, I'm not doing this. That's when sales starts. For, for the rest of us, when you give them a proposal, and they say, okay, yeah, let's do it. You didn't sell anything. I mean, yeah, you did sell, sell anything, but you didn't have to sell the customer on the idea. They were, they were all for it. It's when you hit a, a barrier that's going to prevent you from selling the job where I believe sales starts. And, and that's where you need to be a strong negotiator. So I give that customer a $6,000 proposal. I'm sitting across the table from them. I did a great job of presenting everything that we're going to do from start to finish. This is how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it this way. This is how long it's going to take. This is when we're going to get started. This is how long it's going to take to resolve the problem. You know, I'm giving them an estimate. And then I tell them I, I just need a signature here and I need a form of payment. And we'll go ahead and get started. You know, a lot of things can happen there. You're going to get different objections. You're going to get different stalls. And you're going to get complaints. Those are three different things. And they should all be handled differently. A complaint saying, you know, customer says this is too expensive, that should mean absolutely nothing to you. We all complain about things and do them anyways. I mean, nobody likes to take the garbage out. Nobody likes to do the dishes. Nobody likes to do their laundry. Um, nobody likes to clean. Well, some people do. But I think we all can agree that there are things that we all do on a daily basis that we kind of complain about. We might not say that those things out loud, but in our mind, we're thinking, oh man, I don't want to have to do this. So when a customer complains to you, it's too expensive, ignore it. Now, that doesn't mean I don't say anything. If somebody says, hey Kyle, this is way too expensive. I'm going to say, I know, right? It's crazy. I just need to get your signature and a form of payment will get started. No, no, no. You're not hearing me. It's too expensive. Oh, Oh, okay. What part of it's too expensive? Or what is it? It's too expensive compared to what? I'm just going to ask the questions and there's a lot of different rebuttals to that, uh, objection or that complaint rather. Um, but you just gotta, you gotta be able to find a way. So we're not going to get through all the rebuttals with that on here. That's a podcast of its own. But that's that that would be qualified as a complaint. An objection might mean, hey, I do not have that kind of money. I cannot afford this. So if a customer tells me they can't afford it, the way that I'm going to break that down is I'm going to exhaust everything before I move to um, uh, financing. So I'm going to say, oh, OK. Um, so the next question I'm going to have, if they say they can't afford it, I'm going to say, well, when can you? When do you think you would be able to afford it? That, that's, a, that's a great question because today their cash flow might be very different than tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow they got a big check coming in. Maybe they got some inheritance money coming in. Maybe they're on you know retirement and they get a certain amount of money every month. Social Security, whatever. I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask that, that question first. When can you afford it? If that doesn't get me anywhere, you know, I'm going to remind them, hey, well, you can. good news is you can put this on a credit card. If that doesn't get them anywhere uh, or get me anywhere, I might say, oh, is there anybody else that, that can maybe help you with this that will pay for it? If that doesn't work, then I'm probably going to break into a service finance. So after I ask all those questions, I'm going to ask the customer, 
you know, besides the fact that you can't afford it, is there any other reason you wouldn't move forward right now? If the answer is no, if it's just money holding them back, here's what I know so far. The customer will move forward if they have the money, and I just got to find the money for them. I got to find their own money. So in most cases, if, let's say it's a, a sub $6,000 job, $6,000 or less. I'm, I'm probably going to ask, hey, look, what could you afford today? And let's say they say, well, I can afford 2000 Okay, so I know I got 2000 I could definitely close them on 2000 right now. I got to find four. So my next question is going to be, um, is your is your credit at least a 650? If they say yes, then I am then going to say, well, here's what we do in that situation. I'm going to send you a link. It's going to be an application to a credit card, 14 months, 0% interest. So you just got to pay off that $4,000 over the next 14 months. Nope, no interest. Go ahead and apply for that credit card. I'm going to sit right there with them. They're most likely going to get approved. When they get approved for that credit card, they're going to get a confirmation number in their email. I'm going to tell them to call that credit card company. They're going to give them the confirmation number, let them know that, hey, I just got approved for a credit card. And then they're going to ask the credit card company to overnight that credit card to them. Most cases, they'll overnight the credit card to them. And then when they get that credit card, they're going to give it to me. And now I've got the whole $6,000 sale. They're obviously going to cut me a check for $2,000 or pay me with $2,000 from a different card or a different method of payment. So I got the whole deal. And if, if you can offer financing to your customers, you should get it hooked up with, there's a lot of different options out there. The credit card one is an easy one though. Um, if you don't have that ability to offer financing yet, if you're not set up on that, but I recommend you look into that and utilize that. There's a lot of different opportunities out there for that. The other way is what I call a service finance, meaning they, they don't have a 650 credit score, but they have some cash flow coming in. And they could they could do this service if it was broken up. So I know the customer can put down two thousand dollars today. All I got to do is ask the question: When can you pay another two thousand dollars, or when can you make another payment towards this? Because you know, a wildlife removal project doesn't have to be done all at once. There's different stages, right? We know we got to do ex exclusion now. We got to do trapping now. Uh, you know, bells and whistles, those things can happen later on. Enzyme treatment, that's going to happen later on. Cleanup in the attic, that can happen later on. Insulation, that can happen later on. A lot of this stuff can happen later. So I just need to figure out when they can afford it. The other stuff isn't as urgent. It just needs to be done at some point in time. And I'm going to break that service up. So let's say they can afford another 2,030 days from now. I look at my proposal. I identify the services that need to be done next, and I go ahead and schedule those services for that day. And uh, we make sure that we collect that money before we get started. And I break up that service over three months, $2,000 a month for the next three months, and we're good to go. And, and maybe it's not 6000 maybe it's a smaller job, but you understand the drift you just got to break up the services based off of the customer's finances. And I look at it this way, you know, I just want to get the revenue in this year. It doesn't have to be all today. Now I'd like to get the money today. If I could, that helps my cash flow. That, that allows me to reinvest back into my business, but it doesn't have to all be today. You know, the $6,000 this year is $6,000 extra revenue this year. It's, it's going to help me either way. Right. It's better than not getting it. So that's how I'm going to handle that scenario. And it's not uncommon where a customer applies for financing and they don't get approved. So you have their husband do it. You have their daughter do it. You have, you know, their parents do it. Their, their friend, whoever. They have somebody else do it for them and they just make the payments to them. I've, I've seen that on many occasions. Um, you just got to ask the right questions. But if you don't go all in, 
on every sale and offer all of your services, you're really leaving a ton of money on the table. And when we get a lead for animals in the attic, we know that before we even get out there, that our proposal is going to be in the neighborhood of at least, this is minimum, at least $2,500. Minimum, $2,500. So if you're going out and you're not able to find $2,500 worth of services, you should make sure, are you offering full exclusion on the house? If you're only doing one-year warranty, why not offer them more, more years up front for an additional cost? You know, maybe you offer renewal. Offer the renewals today. Just do that now. Uh, if you're not offering a treatment in the attic, you should be offering that. If you're not offering cleanups in the attic, you should be offering that. How about gutter cleaning? How about gutter guards? Um, how about trimming back branches that are close to the roof that can allow critters on there? Um, I think I already said insulation, but you should offer everything, rodent stations, you know, everything that you can legally charge that has to do with wildlife prevention, you should be charging to. And I think you'll see that your proposals will jack up. And I also think that you'll see that your customers surprisingly will move forward with a lot of these big jobs, even when your competitor off offered half the services for half the price. Because I love it when a customer tells me, oh, somebody else came out here and they were way cheaper than you. And I say, oh, well, what was on their proposal? Well, it was just exclusion and removing the animals. Well, that's why. You know, they didn't, they didn't let you know how, did they not tell you about the uh, health problems related to bat guano, histoplasmosis? Did they not let you know that your insulation is damaged and that's costing you money every month on your energy bill? Did they not did they not tell you that your crawl space is open even though you have a bat problem and that you have rodent activity down in your crawl space? So these are very important things and I think that you'll find if you do this your sales will immediately increase and it's all about your proposal size. You know, you don't you don't ask, you don't get. So when you go in and you're knowledgeable and you're confident and you assume the sale, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be in a position of increasing your sales right off the bat. Uh, one, one objection or more of a stall that I didn't talk about, because I think I identified complaints and objections in a stall you might hear where the customer asks to say that, or they say, Hey, I need to talk to my husband or talk to my wife or my partner or whatever. In that scenario, you should always ask the customer to go ahead and contact that person. And if they can't see if they can text them. And if they can't do that, you can always do a three day right to cancel close. So check your laws in your States before you do this. But basically it looks like this. Let's go ahead and get the paper signed. Let's go ahead and get you on the schedule. Um, but, you know, besides the fact that they're not here, would you move forward right now? Yes, I would. Okay, let's get you on the schedule. Let's get everything signed up. I need a form of payment. I'm not going to charge the card until you call me back. Do you think you'll see your husband tonight? Yes, I will. Great. I will go ahead and put you on the schedule for two days from now. If your customer, if, if your, uh, if your husband says he doesn't want to do it, just call me and let me know and I'll cancel it. Otherwise we're going to charge the card in 24 hours. We're going to be out here in two days. That's called a right to cancel close. So the, the, the deal is the state has a requirement for most states in federal law too, that the customer can cancel within three days and get a full refund. It's a law. Um, so with that being said, the law is on their side, and obviously, as a company, I have to abide by those laws or I can get in serious trouble with the state attorney's office, which I do not want to deal with. So, three-day right to cancel. You let the customers know, look, all you do is call and cancel. We won't do it, but I at least have that signature. And a lot of times, what you'll find is, let's say you're dealing with the wife. She wanted to move forward with it. She just thinks the husband won't, so she doesn't want to speak for him. But maybe he does. Maybe he's fine with it. Or maybe she doesn't say anything. Maybe she doesn't say anything and she tells the husband, oh, whoops, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. We have these people coming out. 
So you just don't know all of the facts. So that close will allow you to get the deal done if rather than just saying, hey, oh, okay, I understand. Well, I'll wait to hear back. Um, you should exhaust everything. So whatever the situation is, whatever the objection is, whatever the stall is, whatever the complaint is, you should exhaust every possible tactic to bust through those situations. A lot of times it's easier said than done, but that is where sales training comes into play. And I don't hear enough people talking about it. It's super important. We have sales meetings every single day in my companies and we do role play. We talk about why deals didn't close yesterday. We talk about how we're going to follow up today and close those deals. Um, follow up is extremely important. Training is, is extremely important and accountability is, is extremely important. If you're just a one man show, you should hold yourself accountable. You should do your own little sales meeting every day. What were my sales yesterday? How many leads did I get? How many proposals did I turn in? Um, why didn't those things close? And what can I do today to close those deals? And that is simply how you close more deals. If you are doing follow-up calls on proposals that did not sell and your competitors are, you will win. Simple as that. You're in the customer's face regularly. You're following up. And don't be afraid to follow up a lot. Some people are, are thinking that's too aggressive. I strongly disagree. And even if it is too aggressive, if it works, who cares? I followed up as many as four times in one day with one customer to get a deal to close. So obviously every situation is different, but don't be afraid to follow up. Don't be afraid to check in and just tell your customers, hey, I'm thinking about you. I was in the neighborhood. How's everything going with the raccoons in the attic? Were you able to get it resolved yet? And hopefully you'll be able to close more deals. So I hope I brought you as, as much value as I could today. I hope it helped you. And before we close out today's podcast, um, I want to let everyone know um, we're looking for great wildlife control operators to grow our team with Conserve Wildlife Services. Um, you might own a company, you might not, but we're looking for you to join us and help us continue to grow. Um, so go to our website, conservewildlifeservices.com. You can read more if you click on Grow With Us. And that'll tell you everything that you need to know about what we're doing and where we could help your business. Or if you're just looking for a career in the industry and uh, to come work for us, we'd, we'd like to talk to you as well. Um, so anyways, guys, good luck. Happy sales.